You're listening to Asking for a Friend with therapist Stephen Ng. It's a conversation about human sexuality and how to approach it with intelligence, understanding, and compassion. Hi, I'm Stephen Ng, and I'm talking to my friend Jackie about all things sexual. And today we were going to be talking about, are you ready, Jackie, affair-proofing your marriage? Oh, come on. Yeah. No. It's a thing. You can do this. You are saying that I can affair-proof my marriage. Absolutely. So I can buy a package for $199 and guarantee that... At my website, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't actually have a package like that on my website, but I should. And it should come back with some sort of a money-back guarantee, I suppose. But, um, you know, like, I think people are somewhat skeptical about the idea of affair-proofing their marriage. And I think quite rightly in the sense that uh, there's no way you can do that in the sense that none of us have control over the behavior of another person. Right. But we do talk about fireproofing our houses, even though, yes, they can still burn if you throw enough gasoline on them. And we also talk quite compassionately and lovingly about drownproofing our children, even though the little buggers are still very drownable if one really tries. So I, I think... It makes sense in that sense to talk about affair-proofing a marriage. Okay, I accept your promise. <laughs> well, good, because it's not like, okay, I've affair-proofed my marriage, and now it's invincible. And do now, as you please. And now I can go on vacation <laughs> by myself. <laughs> I can do whatever I like. My marriage will survive just fine. I think it, I think it starts off, though, with, um, again, a very counterintuitive sort of observation about life, and that is understanding how common affairs really are. I, I would normally use the word ubiquitous, but I don't want to sound uppity. So, you he, know... He does that sometimes. I apologize. <laughs> so affairs really are a part of more than 50% of marriages. And I think a lot of people recoil from that statistic. I mean, they're thinking, God, Americans must really be slutty or they don't have any judgment, or the world just needs more of Jesus, or there's got to be some solution um, that's, that's, that doesn't apply to me because I'll never be one of those people in that bigger than in that majority group. But the odds are rather better than lesser that we are all going to be in a, in a relationship like that someday, whether it's a significant relationship outside of marriage or it's an actual marriage. And so the question isn't, what will I do if an affair occurs? It's what will I do when? It would be far better to be prepared for it if it did happen. But the best thing of all would be thinking in terms of prevention, you know, like that old wag Benjamin Franklin used to say. Well, I wonder, it's interesting when you said, um, sorry, I forgot what you said. Okay. How dare you forget what I said? Uh, where where you said um, those kind of people, I will never be one of those kind of people. I'm, and I'm assuming who those would people the, who have affairs, those people those who sinners. have affairs, or those people who are being cheated upon. Those weak people who have these horrible marriages, who are really not the kind of people I associate with. No, siree. So, are you going to tell me? It's now? about the other. It's about pushing them to the other instead of embracing them as, you know, part of our human family. So are you going to tell me today how to not be one of those people? I'm going to try. Okay. (laughs) 
Okay, go ahead. Well, accepting that it's a real-world problem and not just a theoretical problem, but a very common real-world problem means no matter how disturbing that thought is, it also means there's a real-world solution and that we as human beings can find that solution if we just reflect and think about it for a little bit. Starting with the chance, the possibility, no matter how remote it is, that an affair could happen. And for many, um, how do we try to avoid that? And, and could, could you guess? I could say it in one word, fear. Oh, I was going to say communication, but you were going for the other one. Yes. Okay. I, well, even communication. I, you know, if I communicate very clearly, and honey, if you ever have an affair, just remember, it's over between us. Over. I'm never going to forgive you if you have an affair. That would be kind of the red, you know, the emergency uh, first aid box version of doing what a lot of religions do, the slow week-by-week week, uh, method where we are taught that adultery John and Susan is still a sin. And if you sin in this way, God will take it very, very hard. So we have hell on earth and then we have the other hell. <laughs> the, the other hell, right? So I think the problem with that approach is that it simply doesn't work. And it doesn't work because you can't pe keep people scared forever. You can't walk around behind somebody every day with a gun pointed to their head and say, if you have an affair, I'm leaving you. If you have an affair, I'm leaving you. If people are going to be thinking about this kind of thing, what we want to do is open it up for a conversation because by telling them that dire consequences will follow and repeating that over and over again, we're actually doing a a grand experiment in systematic desensitization because nobody can repress any thought or any behavior indefinitely simply out of fear. What we want to do instead is create the kinds of relationship that has people wanting to be in that relationship, racing to get home to be with their spouse, excited to be having a weekend together, and really wanting more, not less time together. And this exists? <laughs> this is a possible thing? It's yes. not right up there with the Easter yes. Bunny? And, and it's really, a, it's a word that is used an awful lot to mean as a substitute for sexual intercourse, and that's not how I mean it. Uh, and the word is intimacy. Building, intentionally and mindfully building a relationship that is truly intimate would involve making the relationship safe so that we can share our lives with each other including how flattered we were that the handsome new guy at the office flirted with us or how flattered we were when um, the hot woman living down the street flirted with us. Where, whatever it is that there can be really an open discussion about all the things that make us feel kind of happy. So just so I understand, um, and so, you sound so serious. Well, I so I, measured. Well, so you're so saying. Patient. So what you're saying <laughs> is that I'm to to go home to my husband and talk about the hot guy at work and how he was flirting with me. Yeah, especially if you've never done that for the last twenty years, that would that would go over great, wouldn't it? No, I, it's more a matter of of building this as you're developing a new relationship. But for those old-timers who are already in a long-term committed relationship but don't have this kind of intimacy, again, 
the ability to share our lives safely with one another, which includes our thoughts and our feelings, right? It, it would mean having a discussion about just how much do you want to know me? How badly do you want to know who I really am? How many of my feelings would you want me to share with you? And how many would you want me to censor or keep secret? And obviously the answer to that is always, I want to know everything about you, even if that's not true. That is what most people say. And so then you get to ask hypotheticals. Well, would you want to know if? And then it's, it's, it's always a good idea to bring this up before there's an emergency, before that, you know, you're, you've been invited to go to Paris with the other guy <laughs> and you're really thinking about it hard. What you want to do is I do it on a good day. You know, I was just wondering about this word intimacy. I was listening to a podcast the other day, and this guy was talking about really sharing your feelings and your thoughts and, and what's gone on during the day with one another. I was wondering, do you feel comfortable with having that kind of relationship, or would you prefer a certain level of censorship? And to get the green light on that, I think, is pretty important. And if you don't get a green light, I think that's pretty important, too, because it tells you a lot. Well, about what you got yourself into. Right. Well, here's the other thing with that is, um, and I could see this, I want to share everything with you. I want you to know everything about me, but I don't want you to share back. Oh, right? yeah. I only want to know 40% of what you have to share. Yeah, that would be the, the asymmetric uh, intimate relationship where I get to enjoy all the benefits. of. But, you know, the illusion is I get to enjoy, but it's really not true. I mean, it, intimacy has to be, be a two-way street. For one thing, if it's not based on equality, then it's going to be forever lonely. Okay. It really is, because I don't know you. Let's say it's you and me in a relationship. I'll tell my wife later. And, Just kidding, Sharon. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm telling you everything that's coming through my brain, but you're censoring uh, half of what's going through yours. Then I don't really know you. And, and my ability to love you is limited to the degree to which I know you. Okay. So let's go back to um, what you were saying about coming home and, and announcing that, you know, maybe I was attracted to the, the man, you know, the, the guy who delivered the water. Um, I could see both sexes using this as a weapon. Um, sure. If you're not feeling loved or appreciated in your marriage, and somebody else complimented you, you know, it's a way to attack your spouse. Yes, a little bit of manipulation there. A little bit. The flip side of that would be the how dare you look at another woman right? type of thing. Well, again, if we're talking about intimacy in this kind of a different sense than, say, the way it's been used so often, uh, we're talking about a safe relationship to where it's safe from being punished, it's safe from abuse of any kind, it's safe from game playing. And if I do get caught up in a game, uh, it would be safe for me to call you out or vice versa. And how would you do that? In oh, a, in a I would say, is this your way of trying to find out whether or not I really love you and treasure you, darling? See, and what's interesting is, is the tone of your voice on that. Because if I had read those words written down, it sounds a little bit sarcastic and a little bit mean. So is this your way of getting love right? out of me? No, I wouldn't say it that. More of an inviting. It's meant to be inviting but, but I think and that encouraging. That's important. You know, we've talked on other podcasts about um, conflict and, and how it's inevitable in every relationship. 
I think that tone of voice is an important part of that. Absolutely, because what we're talking about is building a loving relationship and and building a safe place. And just as uh, when I'm with an unfamiliar dog and I don't want to get bit, I behave in a different way because I want to communicate that I'm no threat to this animal. And in the same way, I want to communicate to each other that we're no threat to each other, that we're for each other. We love each other. We care about each other. Even if, and I'm going to, I'm going to give you the acid extreme for me, at least, even if my wife were to meet a man who makes her feel more loved and with whom she's far happier. If I really love my wife, really, is there anything to feel threatened about there? Not really. I mean, I can, I can be happy for her. Also knowing that somewhere out there in the universe, there's a woman who's going to love me even more than my wife. Unbelievable. Because I thought that she loved me more than anybody ever could. So so what about that, though? If, you know, ideally you have these conversations ahead of time before you get married, you're all prepped, you're all um, emotionally secure. And you've been practicing and, it for a few years before you get married. Right. So now let's talk about the real world. <laughs> you're You're already in a marriage. You're already living with somebody. And your spouse finds somebody else yes. who, who is much more, obviously, they're always more attractive because you don't live with them. So you don't have to see the, you know, all the, all the things that go along with living with somebody. But they treat me better. They do all the things. So, so now what do you do? Well, my choice is I could, I guess, I could hope that my mate stays with me out of guilt or out of pity. Uh, but for most of us, that's, that's incredibly unsatisfying. And instead, I want to I want to throw another fact into the mix here because let's say this is unfolding and and it's as sad as it can be because it is sad when we're you know so unsuccessful in trying to build the love that we want in our lives. Usually, what happens is we have a hard time terminating the relationship. Why? Well, because we've already made so many compromises in order to try to make that dysfunctional relationship work, that we've given up little bits and pieces of ourselves. And so I've lost a lot of my ego strength. I've lost a lot of my identity. And I think it's true that a lot of us, frankly, um, boy, this is going to be somewhat controversial. Please don't throw your device across the room when I say this. Um, You'll want it later. But I think some people need to have an affair because they're not strong enough to get out of a dysfunctional relationship without it. Okay, so I want to come back to that, but I feel like you skipped some steps or I, I didn't communicate <laughs> my question properly. I want out of here. I want out of here. Um, I wasn't thinking that the relationship is over. I, I was thinking that you've you've gone into this kind of comfort level in the marriage and you're not really focused on it and you found someone else attractive. You haven't acted on it. Oh, but isn't that a wonderful part of being human that I didn't realize that's what you meant, Jackie. I thought you meant something more relationally catastrophic. And I want to come back to the catastrophic because I think that's the next. <laughs> okay. Well, let's just say uh, uh, me, Stephen Ng. I'm a happily married man. I love and adore my wife. I find her amazing and wonderful in every way. And what happens if I find another woman on planet Earth attractive? Is that an emergency? I think not. The, the same parts of my brain that found my wife attractive in the first place are still functioning. I didn't have them, you know, cut off or shut off when I got married. 
And so, of course, I'm going to be finding other people attractive. And in my case, that would be women. So it's a little bit like taking a walk through your city's municipal rose garden. You don't have to pluck every bloom in order to enjoy it. You can just walk through and leave the rose bushes unmolested. And then you should share that experience with your wife? Or friend or um, anybody else you like to share it with because sometimes, well, you know, I, I know that we can BS ourselves and convince ourselves, well, it's just lunch or it's just a walk in the rose garden uh, when actually what we're doing is taking out a rain check for an affair. We're not quite, we haven't worked up the nerve to do it. So let's say I'm managing though my life intelligently and I'm managing my sexuality in, particularly, in particular very intelligently. I, I meet the amazing new person in my life. I Myself, I go home and I tell my wife about it. And not in a mea culpa, mea culpa sort of a way, but in a, wow, I had a fun experience today and, I just, and I'll say something that I hope is funny. And my wife generally appreciates my sense of humor. And usually she's cracking up when I say stuff like this. And then she says, tell me all about it. Or what did you find attractive about her? And we have a moment's conversation. And I know I would do the same thing for her if her dreams would come true and George Clooney would walk in the door. I would be glad to, to ask her, how was that for you? And what did that feel and like? she would call me to come over. <laughs> for her wingman? No. <laughs> She's happily married. Right, right. You'd have to <laughs> I'd, I might have take to one step, for the I might team. Have to step in. <laughs> exactly. So um, it's a really, gosh, it's such an interesting idea to just be able to share something like this so openly and friendly and not be threatened. Not be threatened by it. My wife has a great story uh, where, and this is a true one. We have witnesses. I wasn't there, but I, I do trust the. Uh, the people who were. She was in a restaurant, seated, talking to a girlfriend of hers. When a man walked by and was staring, he was staring at her, and she locked eyes with him for just a moment because he was about to pass her by. And he was so smitten with her look that he walked right into a waiter with a platter <laughs> full of dishes That's on awesome. it. And both men went on their butts and the dishes went up in the air and her girlfriend started laughing hysterically at the site because no one got hurt and it was it was one of those funny moments well what kind of a man would i be if i didn't want to share a moment like that and that other people on this planet should find our spouses attractive shouldn't be so surprising after all we did too right you know and, and we're not all that unique I and mean, we are unique I don't want to say that we're not all snowflakes in our individuality and our uniqueness, but we're also very much alike. And so if some woman has an amazing sparkle in her eye and a, and a deliciously wicked sense of humor, uh, I would bet there'd be more than one man on planet Earth who would find that very attractive. So you mentioned um, the lunches. It's just lunch or it's just a walk in the Rose Garden. So are you saying that... I mean, if you work with somebody who is of the sex that you're attracted to, the gender that you're attracted to, and they ask you to lunch. Oh, yeah. For me, that wouldn't really at this stage be a problem. I think that the problem is what we've talked about many times uh, is keeping secrets and about repression. So that which is repressed 
You can write this down at home. <laughs> that which is repressed will be expressed inappropriately. And if I'm repressing my sexual interest in this other person, uh, whoever I am, then I'm not going to be able to truly be aware of my interest in them. I'll, I'll be enjoying it in a very visceral way, but not consciously giving myself permission to enjoy it. And because I'm not really conscious about it, I'm going to be giving myself hall passes to enjoy things more and more and more. Whereas you want to dissipate that kind of energy, go home and tell your spouse about it. And if you've done your legwork, if you've really worked to establish a truly intimate relationship, then you can go ahead and make that disclosure and it's not a deal breaker and it's not an incident and it's not unpleasant. It's actually good for a laugh or two. Oh my gosh, honey, you'll never believe it. I'm never going to be lonely again. If you ever die in one of those plane crashes, I will be just fine. I really think you should stop saying that. <laughs> and for, my, for, for me to be able to say that or my wife to say that to me, and for us to be able to have this laugh about, well, our human sexuality and the joy of being alive and, of, and feeling vital and, and alive, it's just, why would you want to squelch that? Who would want to repress that? Okay, so we have about a minute left. So what's the key takeaway? You know, we always talk about the key takeaway. So what's the one thing that somebody can take away from this podcast? What do they need to know? Well, in terms of affair-proofing our marriages, the first step is building intimacy. And if you haven't learned by now from this podcast what intimacy is, just listen to it again because it's such <laughs> a simple, simple idea. And I don't mean to be, you know, hectoring anybody for uh, being slow or anything, but really it's, an, it's a new idea. It's, it's an idea that isn't common in our culture. We don't typically make it safe for each other to talk about who we are and to truly share our lives together. Once we do that... We have really done the lion's share of the work to make our relationships truly affair-proof. And why is that? Well, because nobody else is offering us that. When my wife offers me that kind of intimacy, that kind of acceptance, I'm excited about talking to her because I know half the things I have to say, I'd get arrested by somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> There'd be a 911 call involved, and I would be going out the door in handcuffs. <laughs> Thank God for your wife. <laughs> because it's safe, right? It's it's right, totally right. safe for us. And and it's and it's that way vice versa. So that means but but that's it is a little more complex because you you can't have any abuse. You have have to have an abuse-free relationship. If you have any questions about this, please feel free to um tweet well, to tweet us. Tweet us at Stephen Ng MFT. And you've been listening to Asking for a Friend with Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for I'm going to get that one of these days. <laughs>